as I say and not as I do is quite possibly one of the stupidest, most idiotic things that I have ever heard anybody say in my entire life. As a matter of fact, I heard somebody say that to a child a couple of weeks ago, and it took all of the cultural restraint that I could muster in my life uh, not to interject myself uh, into a family situation that I probably had no business being interjected into. But I tell you what, it was hard to show that kind of restraint uh, when I see something so terrible being presented. I, I mean, if you say something like that, do as I say and, and not as I do, it tells me some things about you. Number one, it tells me that you know better. It, it, it does. It tells me that you know better. It tells me that you know that the way that you're living your life, the decisions that you're making are not the best decisions you could be making, and it's not the best way that you could be living your life. It tells me you know better. Number two, it tells me that you want better. It tells me that you want better for your kids, that you want better for your spouse, that you want better for whoever it is that you have influence over, that you not only do you know better, but you want better for them. You want them to have a better life than you have. You want them to make better decisions than you make. You want them to, to live better and, and more fully than you do. But number three, can y'all try muting some of that stuff? Number three, it tells me that you're either too lazy or too ornery or too rebellious or just too wrapped up in sin to be able to live the way that you know that you ought to be living and to sacrifice your own foolish desires in order to be a positive influence on your children and on the people that you need to have influence over. That's what it tells me about you. And you know why I feel like that I have authority to be able to speak on these matters? Because I've been that person. I've been that person. As a matter of fact, I'm that person right now. And you know, I've, I don't think that I've ever said those words. I don't think I've ever been like, do as I say and not as I do. But here's what I have done. I've set a standard with my words and my ideals that I haven't lived up to. I've made that proclamation to people. I've, I've, I've asked people to do things and then I've not done them. I've asked people not to do things and then I've done them. I've set a standard. I've set an ideal and then I've not lived up to it. And you know who I've done that to worse than anybody on the planet? The people closest to me. First service, I talked about my son Logan and how I've done that to him, how I've set a standard for him and then not lived up to it myself. I asked him to forgive me in the first service and uh, we're not a church that replicates experiences. Uh, so I didn't want to just bring him out there and do that again, but, but I've got my wife here. And you know, I've done that to you too. I've called you to a certain standard of living and then I've not attained it. I've asked you to do things and then I've not done them. I've asked you not to do things and then I've done them. I haven't led you as well as I can. I've failed you over and over again and I've, I've used my words to just build up this grandeur thing and then I've not achieved it. And I just want to say to you in front of God and all these people that I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry that I have failed you and I'm sorry that I haven't lived up to the standard of being the husband that I know God desires me to be. And I don't want to do that anymore.
And so I just want to ask you, just in front of all these people, if you'd just forgive me for that. Yeah, thank you, baby. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And I just want to make that statement in front of God and everybody that from this day forward, I don't want to be a, a do as I say kind of a husband for you. I want to be a do as I do. I want to set the example with my life for you. I want to set the example of with my life and our life together for our boys. I want from this day forward for there no longer just to be lip service to the Lord. I want our lives to be a visible, viable, and alive example of what the people of God should be. All right, can we do that together? Amen. Praise the God. Praise God, man. Praise the Lord. Can... And to you. And, and, and I did this first service, and I'll do it again for you now, for the congregation of my people here at the Way Church. I've done the same thing to you. I've preached ideals and not lived up to them. I've asked all of you to do things, and then I've not done them. I've asked all of you as your pastor to, to not do things, and then I've gone and done them. I've asked you to love God with your whole self, and then I've not done it. I've asked you to, to sacrificially love people, and then I've not. I've, I've, I've asked and I've told and I've set this standard with my preaching and that I've not lived up to it. And, and I just want to say before God and before all of you, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I would just ask you the same thing that I asked my wife. Would you guys forgive me for that? Thank you. And I pledge, man, from this day forward, and, and I'll still fail. Don't get me wrong. I know that I'm not going to say from this day forward, I'm going to change and everything that I say I'm going to do. No, I won't. I won't, but I just want to ask your grace on the front end because from this day forward, what I am going to do is try in a greater way to rely on the Spirit of God to turn me in to not a do-as-I-say kind of leader, but to, to, to transform me into a do-as-I-do kind of pastor and leader and more than anything, disciple of the living God. Can you say amen? And, and like I said, in, in the first service, I just got you know, down before the Lord and just repented for that before him. And I'm not going to do that again as a show. I just want to let you know that that's what I did this morning. That, that at this point in the service, man, I just fell on my knees and just asked the Lord just to forgive me for not being the disciple that he's called me to be. And just ask him to forgive me for, for not carrying out all the things that I said that I would do and not being exactly the person, exactly the pastor and leader that he's called me to be. But I do promise that from this day forward, I'm going to strive for that. From this day forward, I'm going to strive to, to, I'm going to strive to be this. I'm going to be, I'm going to strive to be a do as I say because it's what I do kind of leader kind of husband, kind of father, kind of disciple, kind of pastor. Maybe you've had the same experience as me. Maybe you've had moments where you just didn't live up to the ideal that, that you had set forth. Maybe you have. And if that's true, then at the end of the service, we're just going to open up this altar and have a moment of repentance for that. But first, let me tell you about somebody that's not like that. Let me tell you that there is one out there that has never in his life, and he's been around for a long time, you know, in the beginning was the Word, before the beginning was the Word, and the whole time he's never in all of his existence ever said, do as I say, not as I do, because that's just not who he is. 
See, there's one out there that always says, do as I say, because it's what I do. There's one out there that always does what he says he'll do. There's one out there that is exactly who he says he is and always does exactly what he says that he'll do. He said, love God with everything you are. And he did. He said, love people like I've loved you. And, and he did. He said, go and heal the sick. And he did. He said, go and cast out demons. And he did. He said, go and be a light in a dark world. And he was. He said, go and be living water and let living water flow from the innermost parts of you. And he did. He said, go and, and be willing to suffer for this word. And he did. And more than anything else, he said to us, go and pick up my cross and bear it daily. And by God, when the time came he did can you give him some praise at the way church this morning for being exactly who he says that he's gonna be and doing exactly what he says that he is gonna do let me tell you this he started his ministry the exact same way that he finished it and he is the same yesterday and today and forever, and he'll never change. He'll never change. He'll never be any different. He'll never misrepresent himself. He'll always be completely and utterly himself. Matter of fact, he introduced himself as I am. What's your name? I am. Exactly who I say I am exactly what I say I'll do. Now we're going to be in the book of Matthew in chapter three today. And there is a million different ways that I could have went with this scripture. I consulted the rest of the pastors in this church. I consulted some of my elders. I, you know, talked to a lot of people and just kind of got their feedback on it and what was going to go on. And man, there's such a wide range of different things that we could talk about, but that's what I want to focus on today is that Jesus is a do-as-I-do kind of God. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. In Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 11, the Bible says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to remove his sandals he himself will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire can you say amen his winnowing shovel is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but the chaff he will burn with a fire that never goes out then jesus came somebody say then jesus came we're talking about jesus man say it like you mean it say then jesus came Come on, from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him. I'd try to stop him too. If Jesus came in the door right now and was like, Pastor Paul, you need to baptize me. I'd be like, mm -mm. you don't need me to baptize you. Surely there's somebody here more holy than me. And yet Jesus said, well, John said, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. And then Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way. Say, this is the way. Some people are nerding out in here right now, man. 
This is the way. You'll hear a lot of that from now on. It's in the Bible. This is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then Jesus allowed him to be baptized. Or excuse me, John allowed him to be baptized. That's a weird statement, isn't it? John allowed Jesus to be baptized. You know why? Because Jesus handed him the authority to do that. I want you to think about just for a second the authority that Jesus has handed you by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. That is not what I'm preaching about today. Don't let me get off track. We could do that, though. Verse 16, when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water, and the heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Man, can somebody say amen? Pray with me this morning. God, open the gates of heaven and let your word and your truth and your wisdom and your grace fall on us right now, God. Lord, I pray you would reveal to us the Son. I pray you would reveal to us the Spirit. And by those two working in unison, Father, that you would reveal yourself to us. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the first and the last, the Redeemer, the Restorer, the Reconciler, the One, the Way. In his name that we pray. Amen and amen. Let's just give him a shout of praise this morning. Come on, can we? Can we? Man, praise him for about five seconds straight, man. I just want to hear some praise for the living God this morning. Somebody say amen. amen. Baptism is about new life. Baptism is about new life. See, let me give you guys some background on this thing. See, John the Baptist was baptizing people for the repentance of sin. Not as a nation, but individually. This is the first time that this has ever happened. See, he was making a huge statement. The Jewish people that came to JB, it's, I call him JB, I feel like that we're friends. So JB was baptizing people for the repentance of their sin, and in doing so, was making it clear to the world around them that all of a sudden, that their rightness with God could not be determined by their nationality, could not be determined by their religious legacy, could not be determined by their Jewishness. My wife thought that was funny, by their, by their Jewishness. But it's true. See, up to this point, the nation of Israel thought that they were right with God just because they were the nation of Israel. See, they thought because they were the children of Abraham that the covenant that God made with Abraham was good enough for them. Every time Jesus talked to them, he was like, I'll set you free. And they're like, we don't need to be free. We're the children of Abraham. And he was like, whatever, dude. If you don't find me, you're gonna die in your sins, but whatever. But the, the baptism of John was these people showing that they understood that all of a sudden that their religious legacy was not going to make them right with God. That the only thing that was going to make them right with God was a desire in their own heart to be right with God. A desire in their own heart. That it was going to have to be their own personal decision to trust in the Lord. That it was going to be their own personal decision to, to go after God with everything that they had. And, and when he put them under the water, that was them making that statement, not just for them, but for the people around them. And I need you to understand what a huge statement that that was. See, they were liable to get ostracized from the synagogue. They were 
liable to be marked unclean and pushed away from their society. Isn't it wild that you could be made clean in the eyes of the Lord and then be looked at as unclean by the people around you? And yet it happens all the time, doesn't it? Happens all the time. Man, we get right with God and then all of a sudden we get really, really right with God. You know what I'm saying? Like in a spirit field, kind of right with God kind of way. And then you know who hates on us the most? Not the sinners. I mean, I'm serious, man. Not the sinners. Man, the, you know, the, the sinful folks, they never really hated on us for getting right with God. You know who hates on broken people when they get right with God? Religious people do. Religious people do. I mean, the people that are so stoked up in their religion, they're the ones that start hating on you when you go and make a decision, not for them and not for the people around you, but a decision for yourself that you desire the heart of God, that you want to seek the face of God, that you've tasted and seen that he is good and you want more and you've realized that it's the only thing that will ever satisfy you. And yet, it's not good enough for some of the people around us. It's not good enough. They want us to live up to some standard that they have set for us, some kind of weird expectation, some kind of a do as I say and not as I do kind of life. Jesus was the epitome of this. Jesus made a statement in his baptism that he wasn't relying on his religious legacy to make him right with God. He was making a statement that he wasn't relying on his lineage, that he wasn't relying on the fact that he was a son of David from the tribe of Judah, that he was one of the rightful heirs to the throne of Israel. He wasn't relying on that to make him right with God. As a matter of fact, Jesus wasn't even asking his daddy to fix this for him. He could have, but he wasn't. He was making a statement that he wanted to seek God for himself. Now, did Jesus need to be baptized for the repentance of his sins? Not for him. Jesus needed to be baptized for us. He was making a statement. He was making a statement that baptism leads to new life. See, that's what our whole recovery program here at the Way Church is based on. On 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, For those that are in Christ are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And see, Jesus wanted to make that real for everybody around them. And so he wanted to model what obedience looked like. And he wanted to model what blessing looks like. And he wanted to model what the power of God's love looks like. And so that's why he walked out into that water to be baptized. Even though he didn't need to be for him, he needed to be for you. And he needed to be for me. Because baptism represents new life. But not only does it represent new life, baptism represents new purpose. It represents new purpose. See, when Jesus went to the water, he was still in preparation mode. See, his purpose since he was born was to grow in favor with man and God. That's what it says in the scriptures, right? And he did that to grow in wisdom, to grow in knowledge, to grow in strength, to, to be prepared for the mission that was at hand. But when he came to those waters and when he went into the waters, prep time is over. Prep time is over. 
It's not preparation time anymore. His purpose is no longer to grow and to prepare. When he comes out of those waters, it's time to go to war. When he comes out of those waters, his purpose has changed. Now he's about the mission. Now he's about the single-minded, laser-focused mission that God has laid out before him. Why did Jesus come? To seek and to save those that are lost. Why did Jesus come? To save sinners. Why did Jesus come? To prepare a way for us to get to the Father. All of a sudden when he comes out of that water, he has purpose. He has purpose. Single-minded, laser-focused purpose. And the same is true for you. When you go into the waters of baptism... You may have gone there with your own purposes in mind. Our purpose from the time we're born really is just for ourselves. I mean, isn't it? I mean, my baby wants his milk when he wants his milk. And he wants his toys when he wants his toys. And he wants his mommy when he wants his mommy. But it's all for him. And that's okay because he's a baby. But then some of us are, you know, six foot two inch, 246 pound babies. That's me, by the way. And we want what we want for us. But see, the point is when you go into that water and you come up, man, you're not to live for you anymore. See, baptism is about new purpose. You have a new purpose. And all of a sudden, you're not to live for you anymore. All of a sudden, the goal is not for you to get what you want to get anymore. The goal after you come out of that water is to live for God and to live for God alone because you have a purpose in your life. You have a mission in your life. Man, all of a sudden, you're, you're not supposed to just draw in breath so you can have another minute of life. You're supposed to draw in breath so you can use that minute of life for him. <coughs> All of a sudden, your heart doesn't just beat to let blood flow to your outer extremities. Your heart beats for the living God. Everything that you have is for him. Everything that you have is through him. Everything that you have is supposed to be to just complete his mission and to draw others into his glorious kingdom and his glorious presence. See, before Christ, I just wanted to be happy. And I did the things I did to make me happy. And it was good. And I wanted to have money in my bank account so I'd be comfortable. And I wanted to have lots of friends so we could have fun together. I want to have lots of things because it made me feel good. I like to feel good. But man, after Christ, that's not my purpose anymore. I won't, I won't. I won't jump up and kick my feet together, man. I'm good. I might fall down. Now, all of a sudden, it's not my purpose. If, if, if what I'm doing to serve the Lord makes me happy as a side effect, great. But that's not what I live for anymore. And you know that I've been so much more happy. I've experienced so much more pleasure in my life since I stopped seeking it. Because living a life for God provides so much more than we could ever imagine. The joy that you find in the Lord is so much more pure and beautiful and amazing than anything that you can ever find in the world. Now, the world may be attractive on the surface and it may draw you into it with its, with its, its, its facade. And it'll draw you into it with its, with its you know, beautiful, lush greenery. 
You know, a, a pastor friend of mine said back in the day that the grass is always greener on the other side, but usually that's because they have a septic tank leak. Because under the surface, you're going to find something much less attractive than what that grass looks like on the top. But the things of the Lord are not like that. The things of the Lord are our life through and through and through. And our purpose when we come out of that water, just like Christ, was to seek first the kingdom of God. Man, that was our purpose. That is our mission. That is our life. And if I've got a lot of money in my bank account, then praise the Lord, I can use it for his glory. And, and, and if I've got a lot of friends and connections, then praise God. I can either use that to put some gospel into their life or we can be on mission together and go change the world as a family and as a team and as a standing army of the living God. And man, if I can, can just, man, get another breath, maybe I can save one more. If my heart can just beat another beat, maybe I can tell the story of what God's done in my life just, just one more time, just one more time. Maybe I can just live for his glory just one one more day, man. That is the purpose of our lives, to live for him, not for us. Man, I tried living for myself. I tried living for myself, and what a colossal waste of time. You know why? Because I'm never satisfied. I'm an idiot anyway. I don't even know what's good for me. I would go for years and years questing after something, and then once I found it, it was the most ridiculous waste of time and biggest disappointment I ever had in my life. You know, we, <laughs> you know, we, we talked about this during our giving services before that you know you'll you, you'll you'll seek this this you know thing that you think is going to make you happy, and you'll save up money for it, and you'll sacrifice other things to get it. And then after you've spent all your time and all your effort to put your hands on whatever it is and you got it, it's like, okay, now what? And then it starts losing value immediately, right? I mean, you bought that fancy car and as soon as you drove it off the lot, what happened to it? Yeah, yeah, the value went. And if you're like me, as soon as you paid it off, it started falling apart, right? It's life life but there's one thing that you can invest in that will never do that there's one thing that is what it says that it is and does what it says it will do and that's the holy spirit of the living god and he is who he says he is he does what he says that he'll do and and once we go into the waters of baptism man we're declaring to the whole world we're declaring to the whole world that that is our life now. That that is our life now. That that's what we're gonna go after. And, and will we still fall flat? Absolutely. And you know what? We'll repent and we'll get back up and we'll be stronger than we were when we fell down. Because that's the kind of people that we're gonna be. And that's the kind of person Jesus was. Man, he went into the water because his life had new purpose. But it's not just that. Like I said, there's a zillion different ways that I could have could have went with this. Baptism, and, and when I asked all my buddies and my theologian pals what they thought about this, they all had the same answer: Why was Jesus baptized to fulfill all righteousness? Yeah, that's what it says in the next line. But 
give me something more, right? But he, but he really was. He was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And when you, when you start to really look into that scripture, though, you'll see that not only to fulfill all righteousness, but also to restore, to restore all righteousness. See, one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, where it says that he that knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus was baptized to restore righteousness. And when I say that he was baptized to restore righteousness, I'm implying that once there was some righteousness. See, we say that our righteousness is as filthy rags to the glory of God. And we all know that as Christ followers, we know that. But did you know there was a time when it wasn't? Did you know there was a time when man was righteous? Yeah, it lasted about five minutes. But it was there. There was a time when man was righteous. And Jesus came to restore that righteousness. It's like J.R. was talking about. There was a time. There was a time when man could be in the presence of God without being ashamed. See, the Bible says in Genesis that they stood before the Lord naked and unashamed. You know why? Because they had nothing to hide. There was no sin in their lives. There was nothing they were trying to put behind them. There was nothing they were trying to hide under the rug. There was nothing that they were trying to misrepresent. There was a time when man was without sin. And so Christ came to restore that for us. Christ came not to take us forward, but to take us back to the garden. He came to take us back to a time when man could be in full communion with God. He came to restore all righteousness. In the book of Romans in chapter 5 and verse 19, it says this, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Through one man. Through his obedience, the many will be made righteous. Why was Jesus baptized? To set the standard. To set the standard. To model for us what it looks like to be a follower of the living God. To be not a do as I say kind of leader. To be a do as I do kind of leader. To be the one that's willing to say, I'm going to do all this before you. And then all you have to do is do what I've done. If you want to be right with God, that's the kind of God that he is. That's the kind of man that he is. That's the kind of leader that he is. Do you know why that this church is known as a worshiping church? Because our leadership worships. Not, not just me, all of them. You'll see everybody here that's in leadership praising God. Me and, and Brent and, and Angela and, and all, of our, all of our elder board. You'll see all the people in leadership here at the Way Church praising God and worshiping him in spirit and in truth. You know why we're known as a loving church? Because we model what love looks like. We love people, man. We love God and we love people. It's the only, literally the only thing that we stand for. The rest of it is blah, whatever. When we love God and we love people, and we'll go out and touch the ones that the rest of the world has said aren't worth touching. And we'll love people that the rest of the world has cast aside and isn't willing to go and reach. Man, we'll do that. Uh, 
our leadership models what love looks like. You know why we're known as a praying church? Because we'll pray for you right now. I mean, we'll stop what we're doing just to pray for you. We'll stop in the middle of the service and be like, hey, we need to pray. You know, like Anita was saying first service, man, uh, Miss Brenda just fell out in the aisle and had a health scare a few weeks ago. Man, we just stopped the service and everybody just prayed for a half hour straight and it worked. God worked a miracle in her life and saved her life right here on the spot and just did something incredible. Yeah, you can give God praise for that. <clears throat> you know why? Because we were willing to stop and pray because in prayer, we are who we say we are. We're a praying church. You know, we could have went on with the service. I could have been like, oh no, JR, ignore her and go on with the music. We'll carry her out of the auditorium and try to keep everything focused on the stage. But man, that just wasn't what the Holy Spirit wanted. When the Holy Spirit just wanted us to stop and pray, and that's what we did. We prayed, like I said, we prayed, you know, had people over there praying in the spirit and people are praying from the stage and everybody's stretching their hands out, man. And I don't know what Corinne was saying, but it was pretty awesome to hear. But the Lord works in that. And, and do you know why we're known, becoming known? We're not there yet, but we're becoming known as a church that values scripture above all other things. I mean, we're, we're becoming known as a, a church that will go to what the Bible says as opposed to what the world says and opposed to what religious tradition says. Because our leadership and most of our congregation are starting to live that out and refer back to the Bible and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and go against culture and go against religious tradition. And do you know how hard it is to battle the world out there and the religious structure that we've been handed down to us all at the same time? It's hard, but we're doing it. And we're becoming known as a church that refers to scripture above all other things because our leadership is starting to buy in to that. And everything flows from leadership. Everything flows from leadership. And not what they say, not what they say, but what they do. Not by what we proclaim, but by how we live. By how we live. It, it's not about the facade. You know, we can say whatever we want to say. If I say to Titus, Titus, don't put your finger in that electrical outlet. Don't do it, which he loves to do, by the way. Yeah, Nikki was fighting with him yesterday. He loves to do it. And if I say, Titus, don't do that, and then I come down here and play with it for a half hour, <laughs> then what kind of standard am I setting? What's he going to do? Yeah, he's going to stick his finger in there. If, if I say, and this is another thing that we say all the time, if I, well, my phone's down there, but pretend like this is my phone. If I say, Titus, don't eat that. Don't eat the phone, it's yucky. And then he comes around the corner, I'm like, ah, gah, 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 gah. <laughs> what's he going to do? What's he going to do? If I, as your pastor, say, love God with everything you have, and then you know that I don't, then, then what kind of a, not only what kind of a leader am I, but what kind of a disciple are you going to be? If I tell you to love people, and then I make sure that I keep myself separated from them, and don't let them touch me, and I don't touch them, then what kind of standard am I setting? Who am I going to be? And, and, and even get this. What, if I tell you to read your Bible and then I don't, what kind of a leader am I? Get this part. What if I tell you to read your Bible and I don't, but I've got the whole thing memorized, which I don't, by the way, which astounds people sometimes. Because they'll be like, Pastor Paul, you know what it says in Genesis 29 and 32. 
And I'll be like, nope, I don't. And it just shocks them. (laughs) But pretend for a second that I did, that I had the whole Bible memorized. And I didn't need to read the Bible because I know it all. But still, but I mean, to keep it, I mean, I'm just saying, pretend for a second that I do have it all memorized. You know, a lot of the Pharisees had a lot of the Bible memorized. If I had it all memorized and didn't need to read it, and still I told you to read your Bible and you never saw me reading mine. Now, I don't need to read it, but I'm not setting an example for you to read it either. Do you see where I'm going with this? Jesus didn't need to be baptized for him, but he wasn't going to ask you to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. You know what? Jesus didn't need to die for him either. He didn't. He didn't need to die. He didn't need to die for himself. He needed to die for you. And I want you to know this this morning, that he's willing to do things that he doesn't need to do for himself because he knows that he needs to do those things for you because that's the kind of leader that he is. And it all comes down to this, that he started his ministry the exact same way that he finished his ministry. See, when he went under the waters of baptism, it was a foreshadowing of him dying and then rising again in full surrender, in full obedience to the Father. And when he went to the cross, it was the same thing. He died in full obedience to the Father and was risen again by the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Can you say amen this morning? Full obedience. And man, when he went into those waters, let me give you a side note just for, just for fun. JB, remember him? John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. He was a direct descendant of Aaron, the first Levitical priest from both sides of his family. So if anybody was a Levite that was anointed and ready and had the authority to provide the sacrifice for the nation of Israel, it was him. And so when this Levitical priest that offers the sacrifice of atonement takes the perfect sacrifice into the grave, it was the picture of the perfect sacrifice being provided. And then as the priest of the living God brings the one that would replace the temple up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descends upon him It was the perfect symbol of that sacrifice being accepted and all of us being redeemed. And when he did come out of the water, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of the living God descended upon him like a dove. And here's the significance of that. See, the dove, the dove was accepted for your sacrifice but it was the cheapest thing that you could buy to give for your sacrifice. See, people that couldn't afford the lamb or the bull, they got the dove. It was available to anybody. It was available to anybody. See, it was the most humble of the sacrifices. The broke people got the dove. The people from the wrong side of town got the dove. The people that didn't have any money, any extra resources, they got 
the dove. And so the symbolism of the dove representing the power of the Holy Spirit as it fell on Jesus at his baptism was that this Savior is available to anybody and everybody and anyone that would come to him regardless of what you've done, regardless of what's been done to you, no matter what. And then the Father speaks from heaven. Can you say amen? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine if our kids did what we told them to the first time? I know I made a big deal of loving on my big son this morning, but if he tells me to hold on one more time, I'm going to do what I've been promising to do and be exactly who I have said that I'm going to be. Hold on, Logan, hold on. <laughs> the man Christ. The father said, be baptized. And Jesus said, okay. One time Jesus said, was well, there any other way? The father said, no, this is the way. And he went to the cross. And he started his ministry the same way he finished it. See, this is the beginning. The beginning. When he went into the water to signify to the whole world that he was committed. To signify to the whole world that there was new life in a desire for God. To signify for the, to the whole world that there was new purpose in a life for God. To signify to the whole world that righteousness could be fulfilled and restored. And then here it was finished. It was finished. See, he did exactly what he showed us that he was going to do. And the whole time. He was exactly who he said that he was going to be. He didn't need to be baptized for himself. He needed to be baptized for you. He didn't need to die for himself. He needed to die for you. He went under the water in the hands of a sinful man and came out to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. He went to the cross in the hands of sinful men. And the Bible says that he rose again by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a million other things that I could talk about. But the only thing that matters today is that he is who he says he is. And he'll do what he says that he's going to do. And this is what he says he's going to do. That he's going to save you. That he's going to restore you. That he's going to heal you. That he's going to deliver you. That he's going to empower you. 
that he's going to inspire you. Not to a do as I say, not as I do kind of a life. But to a do as I say, because it's what I do kind of a life.